Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the founder and CEO of Ticket Time Machine. It's Matt Wolf. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing great, Alex. Great to be here. Looking forward to the talk. Well, we're excited to have you on the show to hear all about your Rise of the Challenge. First thing we'd like to do is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I'm from Marlboro, New Jersey, central New Jersey, and uh, grew up there and lived in New Jersey till I went to college in Florida, and I've been in Florida ever since. I have a twin brother, um, an older sister, and a pretty normal childhood, just kind of played a lot of sports and hung out with my friends. Not a whole lot to do in Marlboro, New Jersey, but kind of have maybe go to the movies, go to the mall, play sports. And you know, have sleepovers with your with your friends and just kind of kind of hang out. Living in New Jersey, what's kind of like the culture that you were growing up within? Yeah, so I'm I'm Jewish, um, you know, so that was that's part of my culture. I I I firmly believe it's uh, you know race culture, whatever you want to call it, and just uh, you know, it was a it's a, a great area to live in. And it had everything everyone everyone wants, all the sports. I mean, we played soccer, we played Little League, we played rec basketball. And you kind of just, you know, there was Pop Warner and you start to, you try karate. I mean, I, we weren't, you know, rich by any stretch, but we lived comfortably. And I there wasn't a whole lot that I wanted to do and participate in that I couldn't. So I'm very fortunate in that. And I was able to kind of play all the sports and, and see what I liked and then what I was good at. I was a late bloomer in sports um, it, and basketball ended up being my, my best sport. And so I kind of ran with that, but I, I played baseball uh, through middle school and um, you know, so I, I was pretty involved and uh, it was great. When you were playing sports, what was the biggest thing you learned about yourself? Man, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I was very selfish when I was younger and I had to learn to, you know, be more of a, a team player. So I think that might be it. You know, I had some, some incidents where I was, you know, if looking back at him, I'm like, I was young and I was selfish and it's like, that's just not the way you should be in, in sports. So that's probably the biggest thing. When you say you're selfish, was it more of having an individual mindset where you didn't care about what other people were doing? It only mattered how you were playing in the situation. I think it was probably somewhat jealous too, like not wanting others to do well because it might make me not look as good. Um, you know, I, that probably had some insecurities with me as, you know, as I was younger, I was, I was, you know, good, but not great at any one thing. I had a twin brother who was a better athlete than than I was and better and, and most of the things that we did. So, you know, it's, it's tough, uh, you know, trying to make a, your space and, and get playing time and all that. And it's hard. You don't understand when you're younger and then you kind of look back and you're like, you know what? I probably didn't deserve to play the playing time at that point. Or we talk about this with our friends who have kids and the parents on the sidelines are screaming. And it's like, look, your kid's not good enough yet. So, you know, it's hard to tell someone that it's hard to understand that when you're a kid so I think that's part of the problem when your brother was when you were thinking he was better did he ever help you become a better player or did he kind of have that same individual mindset also I mean he indirectly helped me we we would play you know one-on-one all the time just me and him so just got better by playing against 
better people. That's how you get better. You play against people who are better than you and that's how you get better. And he was playing, he was very good at a young age and he was playing on like a eighth grade team when he was in sixth grade. So that's how he got, you know, started to get better. And I just kept playing him and being a, a, around him, always being on his team uh, uh, certainly helps. And so, uh, yeah, I, I would say he did help me get better. Uh, maybe in, more indirectly than directly, but I'll take it. And we challenge each other too. It's good to have someone to challenge the other person. I think that definitely helps in any situation because it helps you grow as a person where if someone's challenging you, you kind of get better and that you can definitely take that same characteristics in the business world where people are motivating you, challenging you to become a better individual and to work harder, but also it helps you find a new set of skills that you didn't know that you had before. Yeah. uh, You know, it's a, it's an interesting comment because I do some stuff on LinkedIn where I'm trying to help people find work and we have some sessions. And the thing that spurred me to do that is exactly what you said. I saw other people doing this stuff to help people and people who are looking for work themselves, who are taking their time and energy and effort into doing it. I said, look, you know, I, I can do this. I can help. I want to be a better person. I want to help other people because I've had that help along the way to get where I am today. And I, I still need help. Everyone needs help. I need a lot of help. I give as much help and I'm okay with asking for the help because I feel like I'm giving that help in return. I don't feel like I'm just taking, taking, taking. So that's, you know, something that really inspired me to, and, and I was challenged, not directly, but just it's stuff that you see and it makes you want to be a better person, do, do more and help out. As you were growing up, did you have any motivations or someone that inspired you? Well, I always admired my dad and and my mom because they both left jobs that would have had security and went to a, you know, kind of on your own sort of thing. And so, you know, to me, that's something that was inspiring and motivated me to, to want to eventually do something like that myself. And we all, my parents had all these stuff that they had us doing. We painted numbers and hot and neon on the curb to help do we had the you know these uh cleaners where you you put it on the stain and it stain removers so so we tried to make you know some money there and try and do something you know different so they were the ones i would say primarily um you know my father and my and my mom when your parents made you have to do those certain jobs it helped you understand work and working hard for making that money that you were getting it probably should have (laughs) <laughs> but I think we were just like, we don't want to do this. You know, it, it's, I don't know. I would, I would say it, it helped. But again, when you're young and you're, you know, you'd rather play and do things, you don't kind of understand the importance of it until you get older or until it's too late. Everyone has been asked, what is that dream job that you're wanting? So I'm going to ask you, what was that dream job that you were going to pursue possibly? Yeah, so back in the day, my dream, when I first was like in college and leaving, my dream job was to work on movie trailers and previews in that world. Um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to get an internship or anything like that. And it was tough. I, I didn't have success in getting a job. And then, uh, you know, my dream job was to work for the Gators, which is the school that I went to. And I, I, I had some, uh, there were some job openings, but I didn't get uh I didn't wasn't able to get it I had a a moment when I wanted to work in the craft beer world um 
and I and I did some work for craft beer, a, a company called Schmaltz, which is Hebrew beer. And um, I actually, my, my friend drove me up to Orlando from South Florida because I had a herniated disc just for an interview for a craft beer company. That's how bad I wanted it at the time. Um, and, and now I would say I have my dream job with Ticket Time Machine. Um, you know, it's funny the way you say that because there's dream jobs in, in perks and compensation. And then what am I actually doing? And I think a lot of people will find that that dream job that you thought was so luxurious is not exactly all it's cracked up to be. For example, my friend was the ticket guy at the Gators, and he basically had to work the first half of every game he was at. Now, he got to go to things, but like for me, I'm not, I wouldn't want to do that. I, you know, I'd rather be involved with them in another way. So it's, it's funny, you know, definitely go for what you want and, and, and think big, but also be cautiously optimistic that it might not be as glamorous as you think it is. I think that's definitely true. We all have that dream, but then when we're actually in it, it's kind of like you're in a different environment and you're like, this is not what I thought it would be. Do you ever say what your dream job is? So growing up, I always wanted to be a game show host, a TV host in some way. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be fun. I can do it on camera. I have that energy and stuff. Then I've been interviewing TV hosts and I'm hearing exactly what goes on behind the scenes and the real impact that happens. And I'm like, interesting, because I would never have thought like the hard pressure that it takes to be on the set and the amount of time that they're taping. So I always thought about that, but I'm kind of living that dream now where I'm hosting my own show, but in a different capacity. And I'm still figuring out the hard work it takes, but to me, it's worth it. Like I enjoy it every single day. Yeah. It's, it's because if you're doing what you want to do, the only difference between this and that is, you know, maybe more popularity, right. Being more of a public figure money and that stuff's great. We're all after it. Um, I'd love to have more of that. And I, I think I'll get there, but there's a lot of satisfaction in, in, doing it even without that so everyone measures success in a different in different ways and so you know I think it's it's perfectly fine to to not have to you know just think it's it's boom or bust talk about the path going to college what were you looking for and what were you pursuing yeah that's a you know that's an interesting question so I am not a good student. My brother is, uh, is very book smart and was a good student. I'm more street smart. And I asked my mom this the other day. I don't even know if she knew this or didn't remember it, but I got into the schools I wanted to get into and I was all set to go. And my parents said, if you don't take this training seminar, then you can't go away. And I, me, I'm a stubborn guy. I didn't want to. I, I was shy and I said no. So I went to a year of community college and then I somehow, no idea how, got into the University of Florida, which is where my brother was. So I wrote a, I wrote a letter of appeal and, and someone read it and actually appealed for me and got me in. It actually called me on my birthday to let me know that I got accepted. So I followed my brother. Again, not a great student. I, was, I, I think college for me was just really learning about the life experience and you know, looking back, I wish I would have done an internship because I would have projected myself to a, in much faster. 
it took me a long time to get to a job that was good um, to even worth mentioning on a resume. And part of that was because my grades weren't so good. I, you know, I was, I was, I wasn't as interested in, in my future as I probably should have been. So that was, you know, I was behind the eight ball already and it hurt me. It, it hurt me. And, and if I tell you about the journey without getting into all the details, it's obvious that that was what was lacking um, for me to get where I needed to go. As you mentioned, you weren't book smart. Were you trying to do anything to help yourself learn without having with classes and stuff where that you could utilize those skills when you got out into the job world? Well, I tried to take classes that I thought were more, you know, some were small. Going to the University of Florida, you know, back when I went, that you would have a class in the morning and it'd be recorded and it'd be on television for view later and you'd tape it, right? So, you know, when I went to community college, I'm in a class of 30, we could have a discussion, which is really what I excel at, not having to remember things and spit it back to you, kind of just actually using the stuff that you understand, you know, and where it's applicable, different than, you know, taking these classes at UF, which I'm never statistics and all this stuff. I don't, I don't need to know. And so, you know, for me, that's what I enjoyed more. So trying to take those classes, trying to get involved, get, you know, that was better for me. And um, no, I didn't, I didn't, you know, and I still probably need to do more to learn more. And although I am, you know, engaging in stuff and having conversations and going to seminars and watching webinars, I probably do need to do a little bit more learning. Um, it's just not something that I like to learn organically instead of like read this book. I'm, I'm basically the same way. I was, I didn't care for classes, but I was a good student, but I learned more when I was actually in the environment and working on something where getting the actual experience more like street smart style. But I look back at the stuff that I'm doing now and what I did in classes and nothing correlates with each other. And I think that's the hard part is we're taught all this stuff, but when we're actually in that industry, it has nothing to do with what we've learned. And I think that's what students are having a hard time with is they're paying so much, but they're not getting that knowledge that they need right now. But I do think that college is, I mean, there's, if you can afford to go to college, I, I, I highly recommend it because there's not go. You need to have that real life without as many consequences as say, just to go right into the working where you're in real life with consequences and not the experience that you kind of need. So, you know, it, it kind of depends if you know, you want to do X, Y, Z that and college is going to be a waste for you and you should get right into it. You know, I guess, but you know, I think there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be learned in college in a, in a real life situation. Um, and also, you know, people you meet could be, it's, it's great. I, I just think I, I, I would do it all over again. I do it a little bit differently. So what was the path after college? Where were you going next? Yeah, that's where it gets messy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I graduated. I moved, I moved back to New Jersey for about two months and then moved down to Florida, no job. And, but I, I didn't want to be in New York city. And I, it took me a long time to find work. I, I was, I, because I didn't have, you know, a great resume and it's tough. I was, again, it was tough. Florida, South Florida is not a great hotbed for, for, uh, for business, unless you're 
you know, concentrated like a lawyer or a doctor. Or, and so I went from job to job to job, bad job. I, you know, it was hard to get. Um, my resume wasn't good. I'm not good at interviewing if I'm not like passionate about something, which, you know, you can, you can tell when I'm passionate about something and you heard it before we even hopped on here, like I can get pretty animated, but me sitting there talking about myself and, you know, some of these jobs I was trying to interview for, it's really hard to, to do that. And it's, it's, so it took me a while to find the job that was, as I mentioned, worth putting on my resume. Eventually I did my first job that I really enjoyed. And that I, that was great for me was a job with a company called worldwide ticket craft. And that was my introduction into the ticket printing world. And it really kind of, and my first sales job as well, which my, my father always told me go into sales, you can do it. And I said, no, I'm not pushy enough and I'm not, you know, uh, phony enough. And he said, you don't have to be. And you know what? He was right. If I would have gone into sales, I wish I would have gone into sales 10 years earlier um, because that was the springboard for, for everything that's going on now and, and had some pretty good jobs after that. What's the biggest thing that you learned about the ticket industry that you didn't know prior to working there? Well, man, I didn't even know it was a thing. I mean, you go to so many events, you have a ticket and you just didn't, I mean, everyone thinks Ticketmaster is a ticket company, but they're not. They're a software company. The companies that I worked at is, are the ticket companies who are printing these shells, you know, that Ticketmaster that you're running through. So I didn't even know that it was a thing. And then, you know, and I've learned this even more now doing what I'm doing now, but how many events and teams and leagues and it's unbelievable things you never even heard of that are, you know, hundred thousand people are going to every year, a million people. And it's crazy to, to think that you had no idea because, you know, obviously I'm a big sports fan and, and been to a ton of concerts, but you kind of live in your, your, the world of what you're at and not realizing what else is out there. Being with that first company or that first ticket company, what was the biggest challenge for you? Well, it was my first foray into sales. So that was, to me, that was the biggest challenge, you know, to have to hear no a million times. It's tough. Uh, It really is. And I think that's it. I mean, that's the biggest challenge, just hearing no and and having to keep going forward because you're looking at like 3%, maybe if you're lucky. And that's, you know, that's tough. That's tough to do. Was there ever a end goal with that company moving up into a certain position or was it just a stepping stone to get you to that next position that you wanted? I, I, no, I just wanted to keep selling. I thought if I keep selling, then I'll keep doing well. And it didn't work out that way. We parted ways after six or seven years. Um, I actually reunited with my boss at a conference last year, which was great to do. And, um, but I, I had, I'd left and, and then it took a while to find another job and I got lucky again and, and kind of hit the jackpot with a different job and did really well there. It was selling anti-money laundering solutions, having nothing to do with anything I really did before. And a year after that, my company, the company I was with got bought out by LexisNexis, which is a huge company. And the rest is history. I did very well there. Won uh, COE three years in a row, which is uh, you get a, a trip and a bonus and you're hitting a high, it's like champions club or circle club, whatever, whatever you want to want to call it. So, I mean, I've just been very fortunate in my career since that, since I got the ticket job 
and um, you know now I'm on my own, which is very rewarding and and in a lot of different ways. During this time, were you seeing a lot of personal growth in yourself, or was there ever a moment where it was challenging and it got very hard for you as an individual? Well, both. I mean, I, you know, it's sales is challenging. I don't care how successful you are or, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You're always going to have challenging times, but I realized that I was really good at it and I didn't, I was much better at it than I thought I would. And it was much different than I thought it was. Cause there's a lot of different, there's no, there's no, I know that people will tell you otherwise, but there's no playbook for sales. There's people who could do it this way and be successful and people who do it that way and be successful um, and so, you know, it was, as I'm going, I understand I'm learning more about other things other than just sales that are related to that, like the customer service aspect, like the importance of um, timeliness and, and quick response and, you know, being there for the customer, but, you know, being genuine, that for me, that's what was successful. And that's who I aim to be. And so, yeah, that, that I realizing that I was good at it and that it was something that I probably should have done a lot earlier. There's a lot of things that I was, was told about and, and wish I could have done earlier than I did. And I'd be in a much better, I think I'd probably be in a much better financial space right now. I don't know what that trajectory would have had on the rest of my life. And so, you know, in that respect, I'm not, I don't regret it. When you weren't going in to be, after you left that first ticket sales job and going in a completely different industry, did you feel that you had to start at square one and try to relearn everything because you didn't have that prior knowledge? Well, so, you know, I need, I didn't know anything about what I was selling and I was in a weird situation because my, my boss at the time, he was basically a one man sales team for all of North America. And so he was really too busy to train me. And for some reason, he brought me in my first day on Thursday, July 5th. And I'm in an office. I hadn't worked in a while. I had nothing to do. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I drove home that day and I told my brother and sister, I'm like, I'm not going back. That's it. I'm not going back. And, uh, you know, they said, look, go the next day. Give it some time. It's new, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I was comfortable right from the start, just doing what I was doing before. But now it's just kind of learning as I go. And I, I think, you know, if you're honest with people about, about not knowing and just kind of telling them, Hey, you know, here's, here's some information. I'd love to get some information from you. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you. And just leaning on my boss who made it very easy for me to, to do it, but you know, learning the new stuff, learning new industry is tough, you know, no matter what it is, but the sales is the sales. If I'm always going to do things the same way, because I believe that's the way to be successful, then it doesn't matter what I'm selling. But being passionate about what you are selling is important. And so, you know, it's tough to, to sell if you're not passionate about what you're doing or believe in it or, you know, a number of different things. How did you know it was that time to start your own company and find that new passion for yourself? I, I didn't know. It kind of just hit me. Um, I've always wanted to find that idea and I was at a Marlins game and I saw a no hitter and I had a mobile ticket, which I hate. I always want a printed ticket, but they announced over the loudspeaker. Can you, you know, if you want to print a ticket, come to the box office. And I said, great. I went up there. Can you put Edison bulk as no hitter? They said, no, I know they can. They just don't want to. And so the idea went, and then 
I was at a concert and the, the live nation amphitheaters, they went to digital and they're like, if you want a printed ticket, they used to charge you $5. And then they went to $20, which told me they don't want to do this. It's not that they want you to pay 20. They just don't want to do it. They want to deter you from doing it. So I'm like, you know what, there's something here. Let me look into this. And uh, I just, and that's how it started. Were you ever worried about the financial stability of starting a new company and not having a financial uh, security making money? Doing this yeah, story? so there's two answers to that. The first one is I was working for LexisNexis full-time and doing Ticket Time Machine at nights and on the weekends and on the side and building it up a little bit. But I did leave uh, Lexis without the financial security because I knew that I needed to go all in on Ticket Time Machine to do it. I'm all in on myself. I, I'll bet on myself every day of the week. And so I I didn't worry about it. Other people did worry about it. Um, you know, family members and I have a wife now, but um, I, I'm, I'm always going to do what I need to do to survive. When I first, all those bad jobs I had, I was making $30,000, $35,000 and I was doing fine. You know, I mean, I wasn't living the luxury, but I was doing what I wanted to do. And so I, I understand how to, how to kind of float myself. And, you know, with the pandemic, it, it hit right after I left. Uh, bad timing again, but it gave me a lot of opportunity to build this network and have conversations that I never would have had. So I think we're in pretty good position moving forward. And it's not a concern of mine at all. Uh, but, you know, I do, I don't ever want to tell anyone how to do it, but I think you, you got to take that chance you know, because you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you didn't. And you have to see if you can do it. And I think you'll see that you can live on a lot less than you actually need. Not not, not, not what you want, right? You got to sacrifice some things. But I think that you can find that you'll be able to make do and get it. And look, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate to not have any investors and not needing the outside money, which is very important to me. But if you have an idea and you feel the need to do it and, and you want partners and investors look into that as well. What is the main mission of Ticket Time Machine? We want to give fans what they want. So uh, that's, we're a fan, we're a fan first company. Um, I'm a fan. I, I do everything. Everything I do is for the fans. So that's really the mission. We want to, we want to help, uh, you know, we want to align with good companies, good people, good organizations, good causes. We want to be, uh, you know, I want to be personally a thought, uh, a thought leader and a subject matter expert. Um, I don't, I don't like the word influencer because I just, I don't, I don't want to be an influencer. I just want to be someone who's a thought leader. So, and we want to help keep the printed memory alive and we want to give fans what they want. So we want to enhance the fan experience and we want people to join us in doing that because at the end of the day, without fans, there's no events. And I know they were able to have some events without fans, but fans aren't just someone who's in your seat or at your event or at your venue. The fans are people who are watching, whether they go. Some of the diehard fans hate going to games in person. They want to sit in their, in their seat at home with air conditioning and their own food. And, but they're the biggest fans and they can support you in a lot of different ways. So I think that companies are going to realize that they really need to treat the fans better and it's, it can't just be like the bare minimum and, and lip service and like doing something that you want people to perceive to be 
fan friendly or for the fans when it's not really motivated for that way. It's selfishly motivated. What are the kind of things that you're doing for fans that are attracting fans to utilize your company? Yeah, so we, we do commemorative type stuff. So something like this is, you know, it's a cool keepsake. We have uh, QR codes and we push digital content. We can customize and personalize some stuff uh, for a ticket. Uh, we're working on augmented reality experiences and gamification. So we're just trying to give, like, bridge the digital and physical world, get people more access in certain ways to, to the teams or the players or the events or just make it a better experience. And part of making something a better experience is the memories along the way, whether that's at the event or the next day or a year later or 10 years later, when you look at something like this and it just, it gives you just a smile because you're thinking about that day and you know exactly what went on and who you were with and what you ate and what you were wearing and, and who you met and all of that stuff. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're selling memories is really what we're doing. And as you know, um, you know, memories are, I love memories. There's things about that I have that are memories that make me laugh, that make me cry. And they're all good regardless, because it's, you know, it's who you are and it's what you've been through. And, you know, I, I who doesn't like memories? I don't know. Would you compare the things that you're doing kind of like a souvenir that someone buys at an event? Yeah, it's interesting. So we're a souvenir, we're commemorative stuff, we're merchandise we have revenue streams where it could just be an add-on. It's something that could be value added. Like if you're a VIP, you can walk around with a, you know, someone gives it to you. Um, yeah, memorabilia, keepsake, souvenirs, merchandise, uh, a lot of things. And it could just be a ticket. Like we don't necessarily do admission a lot, but we can. I, I can operate as a box office. We can RFID and barcode stuff. So, you know, we're, we're happy to help people with admission. But most of the stuff we have is commemorative and souvenir type stuff to either give to your fans as added value to sell to them because they can't have access to something like that and they still want it with everything going digital. I think I don't say you should, hey, you need to give this to people, but offer it to them. If they want it, they can buy it. And if they don't, that's fine, too. But I think you just need to offer the options and a lot of different things and let them dictate whether or not they want it or not. Is there any other company that's doing something similar? Or are you the only one out there that has this kind of business model that's happening? Yeah, there's, there's other companies who are doing commemorative type tickets. They're, they're not doing them well. And I'll show you, it's, I have something here, but I'll show you real quick. Like this is, and I do this to not, uh, I don't like to, show the teams, but so these are commemorative tickets that I bought. So, you know, to me, this isn't a ticket. It's a glorified postcard. Now the front of these, very nice. They're not customized. They're not personalized, but they're very nice, but it's not a ticket. So anyone can really print something like this, but what we aim to do is be authentic. Like this is a, the only difference between this and an admission ticket is this barcode is a fake barcode. But if this was a real barcode, you would use this to get into admission. Something like this, you know, I'd have it look like a ticket, but this is, a, you know, this is a talking piece. This is a keepsake. And the stuff that we're doing with pushing the digital content and the, the gamification and the augmented reality, it's, it's, it's more authentic to what 
I think fans want and to what it should be. So the answer to your question is, yes, there's some companies out there who are doing it. The teams have the ability to do it, but they're just either not doing it or they're not doing it right. And, you know, it's kind of like a lazy effort, like, hey, we're doing it, but we're only doing it half-assed. And so that's where we come in. You know, I think there's a lot of advantages that we have over these other companies are, are you know, being fan first, um, you know, customer service type thing, the branding that, you know, what we stand for. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, and I like to have other people doing it. I just want them to do it right. I don't mind other companies doing it. And I anticipate there'll be more companies doing it or more teams doing it on their own without me. But I want them to do it right because when you do it wrong and then they get rewarded for that, then other people are going to do it and not worry about doing it right. And that kind of messes up, in my opinion, the industry. And it doesn't accurately uh, portray the fan, what the fan wants, even though they'll buy it because that's their option, right? Buy it or not buy it. It's not like A, B, and C are selling this. I want this one. It's only going to be this company is selling you this, take it or leave it. So what has been the greatest partnership or event that your company has been able to work with? Oh man. Um, so we're kind of young, especially, you know, with events, I would say it's right now it's the four chord music festival, uh, Rishi ball in uh, Pittsburgh. It was a disaster. The, the, the headliner, I don't even know if I have it here, this ticket right here. Uh, it's one of my favorite tickets. I actually went to the event. I flew up six o'clock in the morning on Sunday to get to the event. I had a booth. It was my first booth at an event. I don't generally go to events and sell, but it, it was a late edition. The offspring canceled five minutes before the gates open. Oh. My stuff had the offspring on it. It was a rainy day. Pittsburgh was playing. The Steelers were playing. There were, there were so many factors as to why it was such a disaster, but I loved it. I had people there with me who were great. I met some good people. I would do anything to support Rishi. He's one of the, the, the nicest people you'll ever meet. And he said su- he had such, he felt so bad about offspring canceling on him. And he actually performed. He's in a band that performs there. So I would say that might be it. I, I mean, I have so many great partners I think, uh, you know, this is a, a, a um, this is a podcast that celebrated their 150th episode and they wanted to commemorate it. Brian Showman, it's called Shout Out Saturday. Uh, it's so much fun. You just got to experience. I don't even know how to explain it. They're crazy. They're fun. They're good people. And it's just a fun way to spend, the, you know, just tune in for like a half hour on a Saturday. It's called Shout Out Saturday. You can find them on LinkedIn or connect with me. Uh, they've been great to work with. So supportive and just the, just the nicest people. From going from a greatest event partnership, what has been the challenging part of working with these different events and partnerships? Yeah. So the, the most challenging part, and that's, you're asking me once we're a partner, once we're signed to have an agreement. Yes. Yeah. The most challenging part is, is timing and that's everything in the printing world and, and a lot of different worlds. Like they, uh, everyone needed it yesterday. They always ignore the deadlines and you still have to come through for them anyway, because if you don't, someone else will. And the next time they won't come back to you. So it's just, you know, they're so busy. They don't have time to pick up the phone and have a call with you. They don't help you promote their own thing, which actually helps them because there's a lot of situations where, 
if you don't sell, like I've already sold you everything I'm going to sell. And if, if you don't sell another ticket, it doesn't affect me, but I'm out there promoting for you. I've been to, I went to an event for one of my partners, which again, I didn't have to sell anything. And I tried to help them as much as I can. And, um, you know, just not getting help from their side to kind of do what's, what they really should be doing, but what's ultimately going to help them at the end of the day, you are much better to sell your ticket than I am. It doesn't matter. And that's now it's going to be that way. Even down the line, when I have a huge following, it's still always going to be better for you to sell your stuff. So, you know, think about how easy it is to just kind of promote and help like click a button online and you could promote the heck out of your stuff. And some people just don't do it. Do you think that your previous jobs that you worked for helped you gain the skills to utilize with your company? Or do you feel that there was something that you wish you had learned to prepare yourself for what you're doing now? Yeah, that that's, you know, I don't, I don't, obviously everything I've done in the past has led me to this and I use the skill. I lean, I have a very good network. I have a very good circle and I lean on those people to help me, you know, cause you don't know what you don't know. And so I lean on them and look, I don't always do what they say. And maybe some of that's bad. And some of it's like, I look, I understand what you're saying, but I think I'm going to do it a different way. Um, a lot of on the job training, I mean, being a, the owner of a company and, and, and doing certain things with partnerships. I mean, I'm a very trusting person and I've gotten bitten, you know, from being a little bit too trusting and I'm very open and honest. And sometimes, you know, people don't like that or that turns them off or, you know, you say the wrong thing. Uh, so, you know, that's all stuff I'm learning, but I have no doubt that I'll, I'll get what I need to. And, there'll be a day when I actually have the right people around me to do that. So I can delegate and I don't have to worry about, you know, doing that. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I'm not good at that I have to do today because I don't, I can't just hire whoever I want to do it. What do you think is the next big event that you're hoping that your company partners with? Uh, I will be at the Super Bowl next year in some form or fashion. Um, I don't know how, but I'll be there and I'll be doing something with someone. We did a Super Bowl event for uh, Ellie Lunzer Productions. And I, I, my friend told me I've been pronouncing his name wrong. So Ellie, I apologize. You never corrected me, but we did a, a, a little pass. It was a, a last minute thing. He had a great event with David Ortiz um, at Top Golf for the Super Bowl. And hopefully we'll do another stuff for them. But I hope to be at the Super Bowl. I was at the Fanatic Super Bowl party two years ago. Um, I was lucky enough to do that. It's a very, uh, very tough event to get into. And I hope to be at their party. Um, so that's it. I mean, until then, I don't know. I'd love to, to be involved with a ton of music festivals. And, you know, we're having conversations with Major League Baseball, which is upcoming. And, uh, you know, every I, I want to be involved in every event. That's the, the, the real answer. But Super Bowl is the big one. And there's some big music festivals that I that I think we could really help. And I hope that they go off. I don't know when they will. Um, but I think January, the Super Bowls are going to be the next big event that happens. So that's my uh, goal. That's what I'm aiming for. I love seeing the different tickets that you've created and the holographic ones. I just love, especially the Mike Tyson one. I think that's just, like you said, it's a conversational piece and something that people can put on a shelf or something. And Anyone that sees it, they'll be asking, how did you get this or what's this? And I think I just love looking at it. I'm like, 
I can't wait to see what else you create for those future events for these different events. Yeah, the the augmented reality and gamification stuff is going to be next level. It's uh, I'm really excited about it. We're working on some partnerships now. You know, hopefully we'll have some testing soon. But it's it's great. I mean, I think that's what differentiates us. You know, because any again, anyone can just do a cardboard and a bookmark, and you can call it a ticket. You can call anything a ticket, really. I mean, I don't necessarily call this a ticket. Uh, you know, but it's just, I don't know, a badge, a lanyard, call it whatever you want. And this is something we did for our wedding. Uh, my wife and I, we did this as a party favor, but we could very easily have done this as a menu or a table card or a save the date. So, you know, there's so many things we've done. I did this type of ticket as a, as a meal and table card for my friend's kids bar mitzvah. I mean, there's just so much, there's really no limit to what you can commemorate and it's a lot of it's just at the creativity and and uh and whatever you can think of um there's just really so much that we can do and i'm excited for it as well have you been able to balance work and uh, personal life and be able to enjoy everything that you've been doing yeah so that you know that is always a huge thing for me i've lost jobs because i needed more vacation time Work-life balance was always, I needed it. And it was actually more life than work in the past. But now, every you know, I control my own destiny in a sense. I need to work. So it's really 24-7, 365. But that said, I do carve out time to make sure that I can do what I need to do. So, you know, I will have times when I just be like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like Friday night, we're going to sit and watch a movie. I'm going to go. I went to the SEC basketball tournament. I'll answer my stuff, but I'm not having any calls. But, you know, a lot of my life and personal uh, is going to be going to these events and working at them and working and talking to people. So it's kind of a little bit of both. I can tell you that I watch a lot less TV now, (laughs) which is something that I miss, you know, being able to just sit back and relax. I have a TV right here, but I don't, I didn't put it on all day. And because I can't, certain things I can't concentrate at. Like I watched March Madness. I, I, I blocked out my schedule and made sure I watched what I wanted to watch. So yes, work life is big. I need to do better at it. Um, the problem is I need to do it to, to get where I need to go. So I think it'll improve as I, as I scale and as I get more, as I get bigger and, and more uh, customers and um, not have to worry about, you know, again, delegating. There's a lot of stuff that'll let me, I look forward to the time when I can just oversee and kind of help and train and mentor and just have the big conversations instead of having to be involved in everything, having to go to all these networking. And I love it. Believe me, I love networking, but like, for example, I, I did so much events and networking and stuff today. I didn't, I barely got a chance to get to the stuff that was on my list that I had. And so it's tough because now I got to work, you know, tonight and maybe tomorrow night and when, when I would rather end my day and go. So, but work-life balance, I think, I don't care if it's your own business, if it's, um, you know, if you're working for someone, I had a conversation today with someone who said, look, I got let go. I took a year off. I went traveling. I cleared my head. I mean, it, you, the mental mental well being is so important that it's you shouldn't be rewarded like 
like celebrated for never taking a vacation day and never and working all this. It's not good for you. It's not going to be good for your productivity. So you need to be able to enjoy the life. Otherwise, what's the point of, of doing it? I definitely agree. I think anytime I take time off, I just turn off my work phone. I'm like, I'm not answering it. But I've had times where work has called me on a vacation and they're just blowing up my phone. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I got to answer it. But it's one of those things where if it's the weekend or I'm off, I'm taking it for me because I need that mental reset. And I mean, that's something I've struggled with, but over the time I've gotten better. So when you are thinking about expanding or being able to take on less roles and hire more people, do you feel that you're going to be able to work as hard as you are now, but with less responsibilities? Or is it going to still be that same work ethic and everything, even if you have other people helping you? I hope to, to be able to keep it. I, I'm very motivated and I've never worked this hard in my life. And it's, it's, it shows, I think, um, I, I think it's, it's noticed by the people who know me. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a, we can do a whole nother episode on, on <laughs> why in the past, but yeah, I'm motivated. I'm motivated to get, I have goals that are like, I mean, I, I aim to be the next big thing and I, I'm going to get there. It's, I'd love to get there sooner than later, but what I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get that. But I, again, I don't need to work. You know, I work 24, seven, 365, but that doesn't mean I'm always doing so. That just means I'm available if I, if needed. So I don't know that you just need to work, stay up till 2 AM and do stuff because there's stuff I can do. I could stay up till 2 AM every morning, every day and, and just keep doing stuff and doing stuff. But, you know, I don't, I don't think that it's the, the reward is going to be uh, worth doing that. So I work a lot. I work hard. I work smart. And I hope to be able to do the same thing and be able to go, you know, do more bigger or focus on more and just take the energy towards that, but not, you know, not let go of the pedestal, the, the pedal. For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, the final question I'll ask you, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Yeah, just do it. Nike had it. Just do it. Because you'll realize that it's not as hard as you think it is. There's a lot of people who will help you get to where you need to go. And once you get past that first obstacle, or you get those negative thoughts out of your head, and you realize that you were wrong, and you can do it. um, It's, it's not smooth sailing from there, but it's a lot easier. And every other obstacle that comes in front of you doesn't seem like such a high mountain to climb. And you know, I had so many good ideas that I just never, I stopped at the first roadblock and I wish I would have gone through them because there were some very good ideas and uh, you know, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right timing. I wasn't in the right mind space. I probably wouldn't even be able to handle it the way I am now. So that's it. Just, just do it. Just take the chance. You know, I mean, there's always a job for you, you know, and I'm not telling people to just quit their job and do it because Again, I was doing this and kind of until I kind of knew I was going to be okay with doing it and had enough to do, but take the chance, you know, take risks. Uh, and I think you'll be rewarded in a way. And if you fail, that's okay. There's a job waiting for you. Somebody will hire you. They'll, they'll, they'll actually see the value in what you've done 
and the lessons you've learned and, and the skills you've gotten from that failure. So um, now I'm hoping that I, I don't fail, but I'm not afraid of failing for sure. Well, Matt, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We see the passion that you have for the company that you work for, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Alex. Anytime, if there's anything I can do uh, to help you or your listeners uh, reach out, I'm about as accessible a person as you'll meet. And uh, you can check us out at Ticket Time Machine. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I even have a TikTok account which has a really dumb but funny video on it so it's one of four so take a look at my tiktok account and you'll have a good laugh and uh that's it appreciate uh, appreciate the time tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel to see the full length episode and video format what path will you take to accomplish your goals you decide